0: Howdy, welcome to another episode of QBT. I am Dula Peep. And I'm Ali Coochies. And we are two queer babes talking about mental health, pop culture, whatever the hell else we want. And today, we are talking about bias in the DSM and other bullshit. Let's go. Let's get into it. Yee. hmm
1: Trying to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um howdy
1: sorry i was yawning hi <laughs> <laughs> um
0: i've seen you a lot this weekend which is like me a lot i feel week. like the most i've seen you back to <laughs> back Our to third back time i know since thursday yeah <laughs> yeah we've just been a pop, pop, i been over pop, here pop, three pop, times pop. today already Amazing, (laughs) a gift to me in my in my spirit. I love seniors. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Um, one word check in. Mm. Sub slut. Mm. A word that you're offering the universe today (laughs) is um peace. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) world peace. (laughs) (laughs) Um. My word is ibuprofen.
1: Okay, piece, of ibuprofen <laughs> piece for and ibuprofen. Piece and ibuprofen. Yeah. Um. All
0: right. Let's get into some pop culture, politics, et cetera, et cetera. And what about it? One of the things that we got to see each other for was we did the Studio Twenty Fifty Four mm-hmm. Dula Peep concert. Yeah, it was fun. Tell honestly. me about it. Um. So if
1: you didn't know Dula Peep, um, since you couldn't have like a in real life, concert or like show performance mm-hmm. for this uh, future nostalgia album, she decided to rent out a giant warehouse and just throw a performance there, and everybody had to pay to see it. So um, I paid to see it, <laughs> um, and invited you know some people over, and we watched her dance around a warehouse, yeah, um, in some
0: some outfits. The one... The same dance a few times. Yes. It, it, it was a lot of the same choreography. Mm-hmm. The... Which was also... This was the birthday present that you gave yes, me. Yes, yes, so yes, we were yes. able to hang out and watch um, the black cat suit thing with the dangly chandelier. Dangling, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was it. That outfit was
2: hot.
1: The last one was it, yeah. That was really hot. That was the one when she was hitting those same poses, I was like, wow, they look good in this outfit. They do look good in this outfit.
0: (laughs) I mean, the thing is that she is a gorgeous woman and like she definitely is coming into her own, I guess, as a pop star. And I feel like sometimes there's a little bit to be desired, but we got to see her with Kylie and- I got my lazy
1: dancing. That's all I wanted. I know. I I love the way that she lazy dances. It's, it can't be beat. You Her, couldn't dance that lazy if you were trying to dance. Lazy. I know, I know, I know.
0: I mean, the thing is that like she's definitely gotten a lot better than you know the last festival tour where she got like red to filled for just like barely moving around. But um, it does it looks like she's working. Like, yeah. it doesn't It doesn't feel, like, effortless. Like, she's putting in a lot of effort to be, like, I am dancing, watch me. And, like, that's not... I'm sure that that's completely nerve-wracking and she's, like, a young person in her career. Like, I yeah. have no idea what that's like. I mean, she also
1: gave us a peek behind the curtain and let us know that sometimes she just sits there or oh whatever
0: and girls dance around her perform. She said, I'm gonna like sit down and <laughs> then the girls will be around me like, I don't know, like perform-
1: performing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is it. This is exactly what I yep. thought her creative process was. Yeah. And it is. She sits there.
0: I mean, that intro into it was a little bit like, whew, where is this gonna go? Yeah. Um, and I think it was great. Uh, the FKA Twigs moment was amazing to me. I loved that. Oh, yeah. Her outfit was amazing and then she did some twirls. I, I don't know if it was a song. I feel like Tula Peep came up and was, like... saying the end of a line with her, but I don't know whose song it was. I feel like it was FKA's song. Okay. But I found it... It
1: was just strange that, like, um... Duel wasn't featured on that song and that she just sort of came in at the end and like gave her a hug and then yeah. was like okay camera follow me now and it was yeah. like "Well, where did FKA go because no she knows. also wasn't at the end when um, she got a cab home she was like she said I gotta go my, yeah. okay where's my check thank <laughs> you <laughs> goodbye mm-hmm. um, but like at the end Kylie Minogue Minogue, Minogue uh-huh. her um, and then that other girl Angeline <gasps> is that her name I don't know. The French girl that was singing the... Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I well, they had were
1: both seen... there at the end of the party. So I yes. was like, okay, like, left early. She was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The, and um, Miley just, like, zoomed in. Yeah, that was just B-roll <laughs> from the, uh, yeah. the video. It yeah. was, like, basically the same thing. They just were like, we're gonna just do both of these at the same time. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, fair. Smart, whatever. smart enough. Yeah. um Coronavirus, etc um I thought the club aspect was kind of cool. It, like, was like, oh. We were kind of recreating a sort of warehouse thing um, some I, of the remixes were good. Yeah, it was. It, it that was one scene fun. It looked like the they were DJ where fun. they were
1: literally just dancing around yeah. in the club and Dua wasn't singing or anything, which is behind the DJ booth with the DJ. I was like, yeah. "Oh, this actually the blessed makes Madonna. me." Yeah. Oh, that's who that was. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, good to know. I don't think I've ever seen that person. Yes, yeah.
0: formerly the Black Madonna, and then <laughs> thank God because yeah.
1: that's what she looks like. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh, well, I, I have <laughs> um, been getting critiques of that for years, and then got the Dula Peeve thing, and then changed her name like suddenly because of like Black to Lives to what Matter. i said i'm
1: really happy that i met this woman after she changed her name sure. to the blessed madonna um anyways <laughs> that whole scene was fun it made me miss like going out i was like oh that's right this would be something w- this is what we would normally be doing yep. on a friday night right mm-hmm. now that was fun though
0: i did love being able to be at the club in comfy pants yeah and like We just ordered a pizza and like watched people dance around and we were just like yeah sitting around relaxed feet were on fire
1: oh right my heater was just like yeah i was hanging what what was going i was
0: hanging my feet over the chair and the heater was blowing on my feet and i just like at a certain point was like my feet are on fire and i had forgotten that um, there was a (laughs) heater there that's not a very interesting thing that happened (laughs) it was interesting in the moment um also bad bunny
1: showed up In Dula Peep's uh, concert But also on like a TV screen Oh, Remember that happened for like a second
0: Yeah Um, Cause he also He was supposed to perform I think at the AMAs But then he tested positive for COVID So that Mm -hmm. performance got Mm cancelled I don't actually know If the song he did was from a new Was a new song or not I didn't recognize it Was it on that new album? El último
1: tour del mundo Remember we listened to that on Thanksgiving That was I don't remember any of it
0: um, it's good I've listened to it again Since we put it on At like 2 in the morning But Yeah Which um, you know what We were doing On Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> Hanging out at the, 2 o'clock Hanging out <laughs> Yeah Just really We were like Oh my god A new Bad Bunny album um, It's a I like it 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 feels very much Like a winter release Especially after these Like That's the third album That he's put out this year um, Okay Just in 2020 Liliana. Three albums I mean Oh Only my Ariana, god Ariana actually I I mean he's Got like the the largest Latin record ever, you know, with yeah. that Y M H D L Q, whatever that album name is. You know, the album from oh, the yeah. beginning. It's yeah, like okay I, it's just a bunch of letters. I don't know. <laughs> um But I mean, I I don't know. I really like this. It sounds a little darker and less um dancey, but I I really enjoyed it. I'm excited to kind of just like continue breaking it in. Um have you listened to Plastic Hearts, the Miley album at all?
1: Okay, two things. One, when did that album come out?
0: Uh, also Thursday night.
1: Oh, no. Friday I didn't morning. even know it happened, yeah. I guess. Um I'll listen to it. I will actually give it a solid listen, but I didn't know it came out until just now.
0: It's so good. It very it's very much um if I had heard this album when I was a teenager, I think it would change my life. Oh. Like it just is it, it's that energy. It's like a uh, kind of 80s rocker slash like uh, a child who grew up around like pop punk kind of stuff. Like it, it has a really mm. um, fuck men energy. Like it's all very yeah, I like that. Out of my albums. I know. And like uh, she has some really good song like actual songwriting and lyricism in it. And uh, I mean. Midnight Sky and Prisoner are great, but they also have the, um, the remix Stevie Nicks version of Midnight Sky. Cause like that's sampled on it. But, uh, that live version that they did together and recorded, um, it sounds really good. I think, um, the first time I listened to it, I was like, this is definitely a departure. I still kind of feel like She is Coming is my favorite Miley, but this allows like um, a compromise between some of the dancier stuff with more of a like, um, I don't know. I, I, I think just her as an adult artist, this is a good direction for her to go in. She can do whatever she wants, you mm-hmm. know. She sure can. I'm
1: looking at um this review and there's a lot of people here that I did not listen to in my childhood so yeah <laughs> Billy Idol, Joan Jett. Yeah. Um, I know those
0: names. Don't ask me to name a song. Yeah. The Joan Jett <laughs> song is really good. It's 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 kind of like a you know, I don't give a damn about my reputation. That's a Joan Jett song. Mm-hmm. And the song that they sing is kind of like that. It's called, like, Bad Karma or something like oh, that. Oh, cute. It's, uh, it's cute. I think it's, like, you know, getting to play around with some musical greats in a new genre. And I think that she executes it okay. Um, Golden G-String? Yeah. It's She She talks about... Um, I think it's essentially, like, uh, about the Bangers era, kind of. And, like, how... She was kind of pushed to do shit that was like kind of embarrassing and like whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: we can leave that era where it is. Yeah, we can. We we had a whole talk about it. Oh my God. I don't want to revisit it. I don't
0: want to revisit it either. Uh, Um,
1: Okay. You've you- been talking to me about how to with John Wilson for weeks. No, I have not watched it yet.
0: It's fine. It, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to spend Because I did talk more about that the first time I brought it up. But the finale, it's only six episodes. And the finale was, um, he takes this story about um, his landlord that would, like, she was like an old woman who would like make him food and like would leave him food at the stairs and like do his laundry just like very kind old people old new york type shit and and, like it then becomes about coronavirus and like it kind of like talks about like the fear he had of like whether or not she was sick and um it's just this kind of like found footage and this meditation on human connection and like the finale was just really heartwarming and I don't know I I don't know why I like this show so much but we it's really so calming it. it's so good I, I love will it. bring
1: myself to watch it one of these days I promise um you know I did watch what yesterday at my depressive state run with Sarah Paulson you did watch it I did watch it what did you think I I literally was like let me put this fucking movie on to see what it's about yeah and yo I was in like I was sold within the first 30 minutes I was like this story seems familiar like I feel like I either this was an actual news story or they've made this movie before and I'm just seeing it in a different iteration but it was really fucking good Sarah Paulson being crazy as usual um, also, the actress... Ah, uh, what is her name? The main character who's in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. I read this article that apparently this is, like, the first movie featuring somebody, like, in a wheelchair as the main character since, like, 1960-something. It's been a while, not that long. Weird. Like, maybe the 80s. But, like, it's been a while. And I had to think about it, and I was like, I guess I haven't seen a movie where somebody in a wheelchair was, the like, the actual main character, not a side Strange. character. Which um, is insane to me.
0: Yeah, that feels... Really wild, like yeah, uh, lots of people use wheelchairs. Uh, it's it's Munchausen syndrome, so yeah. it's like Munchausen by proxy. It's basically not to be confused with Munchkin syndrome
1: from The Wizard of Oz.
0: Yeah, of course, those are two different things. Two different things. Yeah, different diagnoses, different <laughs> different standard criteria. Um, no, uh, this um, it's basically that story about that girl that murdered her mom. Yeah. Dee Dee Um, and um, Gypsy Rose. Gypsy Rose, Blanchard. Yes. Yeah. It's it's basically that, but, like, kind of a horror movie spin. I thought it was... I thought it was cool. I, like... The way that she, um, like, runs to get the mail, and, like, no matter what she does, she can't, like, get the mail on time. there first. It just... When she drinks the fucking household thing and was just like, You need me. I you was need like, me. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's a movie where you kinda know exactly where it's going two minutes in, but it despite being very predictable, I had a good time.
1: Yeah. I I found myself like on the edge of my seat, though it was very much so like unless the mom wins in the end, like I this whole thing is predictable. But Yeah. I don't know. It was a good thriller. It was definitely. It just had me on the edge of my seat. I mean, even up until those last few moments where I was like, "Fuck, is she gonna get away with this?" I know. I know. And then she. I mean, she doesn't. She doesn't die. But you know, it's. It was fun. I don't know. I was into it. I was. Yeah. I was. That twist at the end is
0: fun. really cute. I was and, having fun. Yeah. It was very much like a a laying in bed kind of recovery movie. It was. It was yeah. great. I loved it. Yeah. Um, a movie I did not love the happiest season. Oh, I watched that yesterday too. The lesbian holiday movie.
1: I, Why didn't
0: she end up with Aubrey Plaza?
1: I I understand what you were saying now on Thanksgiving. I agree. <laughs> I was like, or maybe yesterday on Friday. Um, I remember being like, so yeah she definitely shouldn't end up with Mackenzie Davis like that relationship that is sucks. She sucks. <laughs> she well, I was sucks. like, fuck you for like trying to force this girl back in the closet yeah. and then it worked out and I was like ew this was whack like our replies are definitely deserved yep. to be the one that ended up in a relationship at the end of that but
0: that energy was just like so palpable they had such good chemistry I mean honestly uh, for such a like kind of weird premise like I mean, I guess it's not that weird. It's just like it's just a traditional Hallmark fucking holiday movie yeah. story. It just is about lesbian. It got but- a
1: little absurdist. Like I was it was getting to a point where I was like, all right, you guys, this yeah. is not how any of this would go no. down ever. And I- the whole fucking, um what's his name? Dan Levy. Dan Levy, that whole I get what he was doing at the end, but the whole just like well, how? What happened when you came out? Yeah, this is what happened to me, and that doesn't mean that she doesn't. And I was just like, yeah, 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 but that does not mean that like Kristen Stewart deserves to be forced back into a closet no, or yeah. like deserves to be treated this way because her girlfriend doesn't have her shit figured out, yeah. like. Break up with her and like move on. Yeah. I don't know. That's with, that been my, Plaza. with Aubrey Plaza.
0: Like, cause that family sucks. Like, they're like, all that they've shown you is that, like, okay, I'm glad you're having some sort of breakthrough that you've like put your daughters through the ringer um, for some fucking mayoral race. Like, it's like, how important is that? <laughs> I don't know. It just was like the level of like him being a politician, and his kids needing to be, you know, the best of the best. For it just was like, perfect is like, no. <sighs> I love that crazy um, daughter, though. Did it? Yeah, no, that was 2020.
1: I was going to say, like, maybe if they had made it take place in, like, the 90s, I would have gotten it a little bit more. It
0: felt very Obama era. And I know that that's not the 90s, but, like, it (laughs) felt very, like, you guys know, like, gay people are, like, normal, right? Yeah. Like, you guys know, like, gay people are people, too, right? Yeah. And it's like, uh, I guess. I almost would have preferred the setting to have been, like, middle
1: America. Like red states, and then that kind of because then I'd have been like, all right, a little bit more believable. But it felt very like y'all are in some blue state with somebody running for mayor. You should be excited, your daughter's like a lesbian, right? But for some reason, this is, I
0: don't know. It had a lot of great actors in it. I feel like I enjoyed every, despite the writing being shit. I enjoyed every performance except for the fucking main woman who just like I'm supposed to believe. That I'm rooting for your relationship, and I all I want is oh, for no. you to yeah. break up with her and leave her. When she, um, Kristen Stewart also like pretending to be straight wearing what she was wearing the entire time, it was
1: when she wore, she wore like a suit to like the Christmas party, yeah, with like a tie, like an unbuttoned unbuttoned shirt with like a loose
0: tie. It was and very course, like was Shane like, from the L word, yeah.
1: I was like, well, first of all, I love this look on you, but sure. also, like, you're not fooling anybody, no. honey.
0: <laughs> like, I think everybody was, funny would know. He was like, have they seen a lesbian? <laughs> do, do they know what a lesbian is? <laughs> he was great,
1: honestly, up until that last little speech. That was... Yeah, that's not her fault, though. Um, another film that I watched that you haven't, that I'm going to continue talking about, is okay. Hillbilly Elegy.
0: Okay. I mean, tell me about it. What, it's, what you just, got?
1: it's just bad. But, like, it's, it's like, good to watch. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like you want to... You want to see how absurd it can get. You want to see how ridiculous it can get. You want to see how much more Amy Adams can scream and cry (laughs) on your television screen. Like, genuinely, I thought, we were not even halfway through this movie, and I've seen her in tears like five times already. Okay. And literally, it's like every time she talks, she's on the verge of tears. She's she's acting. She's acting. acting. And Glenn Close is just being a mean old,
0: like, grandma, and I like it. I mean, I'm gonna watch it. I I need to be in the mindset, though, to watch a bad movie. I feel like I almost clicked on it a couple times, and I'm like, I'm not going to enjoy this bad experience. I'm just going to be mad that it's a bad movie the whole time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like just getting in that headspace. I feel bad for Glenn Close. I feel like she thought that this was going to be her supporting actress, no. finally Oscar-winning no. nomination, and I feel like everyone who's seen this movie is like, this movie sucks. It sucks.
1: The acting is fantastic. Do not get me wrong. It is fantastic... Acting. Everybody's putting on a performance of their life. Mm -hmm. It's just that the film doesn't have anything to say about anything. It's like, if you're trying to tell me, like, the opioid crisis happened and is still happening and this is the effect it's having, then I needed to be a little bit more blatant. Like, it's like, y'all are maybe too subtle with that because all I'm seeing is Amy Adams go from fantastic mom to like heroin addict and there's no like in between other than she stole some pills from a patient one time. And I'm like, so that was it? Like, she just yeah. decided to steal pills one time and now she's hooked on heroin? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that's not how it goes.
0: It's like um, if Nurse Jackie was not a comedy.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> only I look at this as a comedy and it shouldn't be. Oh my God. I think the only, the only scene that really, like, got me that was, like, gut-wrenching is, like, the last, like, sort of the, um, the climax of it all when he's trying to get the heroin from his mom in a motel, like, bathroom. I was like, well, this is intense. Like just like child mother, like wrestling in
0: a bathroom in a hotel over heroin is like, whoa. <laughs> What's that movie with Jared Leto and he's like trans and dying? Oh yeah, Dallas Buyers Club. I That's what I think about when you were telling me about this. Is ah, but that movie was done well. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> Better than Better this. Than this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just I think Ron Howard uh, is just trying really hard. Uh, he he just grew up on a fake Southern TV show. Mm. He didn't oh. actually live that. It did feel like um, like happy time, happy happy days, happy days. But also Andy Griffith's show was what
1: I feel like both of those in whatever when this film happened i think in the early 2000s that's when it's well like the 90s and then it flash forwards to like the early Early 2000s 2000s. yeah so you can see the kid all grown up and apparently he has his shit together good for her also there was like supposed to be this plot line about him fighting his way into yale and like and it felt like they were really leaning into that like the first 15 minutes where you're like he's sitting at a table with all these like upper class people and he's explaining to them about what it's like coming from like appalachia Mm -hmm. and then we lose that shit like 30 minutes in i'm like okay now we suddenly he's just in yale and like because it's supposed to be this like
0: class (laughs) conscious like uh, yeah poor white people have to overcome poverty and the way that poverty impacts these communities and the way that they simultaneously take care of each other and fuck each other over and like all of that and it's just like i don't we know that like isn't that something that we know i don't know it i think the minute i saw the trailer i was like this movie is trying to be profound, and it just is. It's reaching for something it's that reaching. it isn't. It's not, um, unfortunately. It I could will have been, watch it. You but. can
1: see that it could have been so much more, and could have been very like gut wrenching mm-hmm. the entire time. But instead, you're just met with like a bunch of speeches that were clearly made to like get somebody an Oscar, and the especially because everybody's fucking crying in that fucking Terminator speech.
0: I was going to say that, that <laughs> and the fact that they put that in the trailer, they were like, "This'll hook them." Good Glenn, Terminator, Glenn bad Kirt Terminator, or neutral. neutral. That's no no one knows what you're talking about. There is no
1: such thing as a neutral terminator. No. <laughs> That's not a thing.
0: No. <laughs> That's such a mess. Such a fucking mess. Ugh. Um Well, uh Oh, I just wanted to shout out um HBO's Between the World and Me. Yes. Um Tanahassi Coates book has been turned into these monologues and um I watched it last weekend and it's it's heavy but it's very beautiful very beautifully done um i think i had read excerpts of his i used to read his uh case for reparations um article that like long form article thing a lot with um previous work i was doing but i i haven't read that book i gave it to my brother he asked for it one year and loves it okay. but um steven did you read it I think so. I think he really liked it and uh, (laughs) um but the movie it just like it has all these different actors and they uh just kind of intercut with these like monologues in different spaces and it handles um you know a very like first person narrative but it uh, makes it seem like this universal experience in this country and um I think it does it really beautifully and it is intense but it's a very good movie um that's on HBO as well. HBO was killing it. I'm telling you. They truly are. Oh shit. I think that there's a new Adventure Time. I need to go see that. Um. Oh also we talked a lot of shit. The newest Mandalorian episode yeah. was good. Yeah I watched it.
1: It was really good. Also it took me a while for it to dawn on me that that was Rosario Dawson. I okay. I couldn't I was like, who is this woman I know who I was this like, woman she's is. my friend was and I don't bothering. know who she is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it literally wasn't until like close to the end that I was like, you know what? That's Rosario yeah Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um Do you know? I know that they're different people, but Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> Um, I yeah. watched uh, Fast and <laughs> Furious. <laughs> and like,
1: I'm laughing because I've also had that thought, though. Almost in the same way that Penelope Cruz and Salma Hayek are two different people, but they've sure. been in movies together, so sometimes I get them confused. Yes.
0: <laughs> I mean, just like big lesbian energy, you know, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But um, I watched Fast and the Furious, uh, and I was pissed. Why? Just why not, you know? <laughs> but I was honestly pissed because I was... 37 minutes in when I remembered Devin Aoki isn't even in the first one she's only in the second one and I forgot that she wasn't in the first one until I've already watched like 35 minutes of the uh, other well, Oh, now you're in and now I'm in and I gotta finish it <laughs> um this and also I think I forgot that the whole thing was that Paul Walker was a cop yeah like I mean like I don't know anymore. right I mean I don't know why it's okay the plots
1: I, make no sense sure
0: but I, I'm I also I Tokyo Drift the was the last one the I saw one. Oh, that's, like what? An, what a movie to end it on! I mean, I think I may have tried to see Fast Five, which is like the fifth one, right? I I, I have fallen asleep in every one. I think past I actually Tokyo also Drift. stopped
1: after Tokyo Drift. Um, I don't know what happened after that.
0: I was never a big into racing. Um, you know, I mean. My fast cars. I was gonna say you don't ra- you don't race you don't no, ra- you don't race your. I your meant Honda video element. games. I meant video games, but uh, <laughs> Need for Speed Underground Two. Did you ever play that game? Oh yeah, I played. That racing shit was video games. fun.
1: Yeah, that GTA shit was fun. GTA is Grand Theft Auto, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, but not Need for a little Speed. different. A little different. Need for Speed Underground is basically Fast and Furious, but like it's also all night based, and so you could like. Get your oh, nos. It was like when nos was like the big thing. And like, cars get were your all car. like,
1: and it was like the graphics were so good. It sometimes it was like it just rained, so the streets were like glistening. Yes. Oh yeah, I remember that. That game was good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the
0: soundtrack that was like that introduced me to a lot of honestly black music that I like had not heard before. I feel like those
1: um, and dance music, too. those Need for Speed video games easily used like rappers like hip hop, but also leaned into some. Um, grime grime music mm-hmm. the uk stuff
0: yeah yeah slime grime
1: slime grime i listened to that lady
0: alias shy girl
1: not jennifer garner shy girl <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i would listen to a jennifer garner album just to laugh at it not to actually care you have i think i listened to i think i actually engage with a lot of media just to laugh at it not to actually take it seriously i'm realizing
0: I have to be in the right mood. Sometimes bad media just pisses me off because all I can think about is how many people like have better ideas that are not funded. And this mm. ha- is like, like sometimes in an aerial, aerial shot, I'm like, this alone is $100,000. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this story sucks. I'm so mad. Hillbilly elegy. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, we're going to let Ms. Glenn Close... Uh, <laughs> alone for right now and (laughs) do we um,
1: have to yeah we should
0: we we should should. um and when we come back we are joined by our guests to talk about the dsm and the way it's fucked up and ways that we can engage with diagnosis in a more healthy way okay stay tuned stay tuned bye Alrighty, um welcome to the work this week. We are so delighted, so honored um, to be joined by Dr. Layla Ellis Nelson, professor at Roosevelt University, Just a Thought podcast host where you're bringing on dope ass black researchers. Um, and then you just also are writer and author of um, a book, Black Millennials. You worked on that too recently, just like all around yeah. Chicago badass. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for being here.
2: No, I appreciate y'all. Um, yes, yeah, so I did get an opportunity to co-author or to author a chapter in Black, Black Millennials. And mine focused on brand development. So some of that marketing shit that they don't ever talk about in grad school. <clears throat> God forbid you ever ask your teacher, what's my salary expectation? Right. And you get these, well, it's gonna really depend on exactly what you do in the field. <laughs> and you know, I don't want to give you a number and set you up for something. I'm like, bitch, just give me a range. Like, right. no one asked you what was in your <sighs> account. Or how do you actually reach certain populations? How do you get this job? But that's something that historically has been hard, just being Black and trying to figure stuff out. People, when you're reaching out in like grad school or any of your college or professional circles seem to be really holding tight to information. And it just makes it really hard so i'm glad that um dr jackie darby presented this opportunity for the book i love being able to do the podcast with my homie um dr emeka E.K. guano and the other podcast i do is i got you pegged that's with my husband and our friend desmond perry and that's okay. just about sex foolery and nonsense
0: so. <laughs> so this is uh this is familiar territory for you then oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one thing we like to start off by asking everyone is, um, can you talk to us a little bit about identities that shape how you come into this world?
2: hmm So pronouns, she, her, black or African-American, fine with either or, um, female, bi, cis, and I like to think that I am middle class, but then I look at my checking account and it's like, no, nah, girl, that's not really, truly <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> the lower middle class range in terms of like class and SES and all of those pieces I mean even going down the haze dressing model from the USA born in Ohio raised partially outside of Atlanta back to Ohio now in Chicago so that's me black chick from the Midwest
0: <laughs> how long have you been in Chicago?
2: Ooh, when did grad school start? so 2009 yeah 09 so I don't know on that
0: And what brought you there, the Chicago school?
2: Yeah, literally grad school. Um, Was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after undergrad, not about what I wanted to do career-wise, but just where I wanted to be. Came to Taste of Chicago in 08, and I was like, oh, well, this is nice. This is cute. I could be here forever. (laughs) And I have not left since, so it's been nice.
0: I love that. I've only visited a few times, but every single time I'm there, I'm like, I can see this. It makes a lot of sense. It's a great city only been there in the
1: <laughs> in the winter time i don't know what it's like in the summer
2: really only the winter mm-hmm. Ooh, that's, that's unfortunate normal. i know <laughs> oh no these are choices we're gonna have to <laughs> try that get got erected so uh, then cold and sadness between i don't know september to march
0: Mm-hmm. real snow real winter real cold
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um, So could you talk to us a little bit about um, your work and how you approach mental health and psychology?
2: Definitely. So I got my doctorate in clinical psychology, graduated in 2015. Since then, a lot of my work has been with the college population. So I've worked at Bowling Green State University. Northwestern University, Kennedy King College. Now I'm at Roosevelt and I've worked there previously as the director of their counseling center. And I was also the outreach coordinator there as well. Um, the big piece for me about being in mental health really started with my dad. So my mm. father, my biological father has Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed when he was 50. Mm. And I'm not sure if everyone knows a lot about Alzheimer's but that's really early to get mm. Alzheimer's. Usually we we'll get a diagnosis around like 70, 80 and seeing how that progressed. And then also my dad, my stepdad, he has PTSD because he was in Vietnam and lost mm. a leg. So there's a lot of trauma yeah. associated with that being, with that too. And my parents are also older. They were all born in the 40s. And that in itself brings a different level of how they understand the world. Mm. So me just trying to really make sense of that, influence what I did career-wise. And now within my career, It's looked like really working to honor how cultural differences, the ethnicity of the person, the race, um, their indigenous status, their indigenous history, their age, their SES, all impact how they even present when it comes to mental health symptoms, much less the fact that we don't have access because equity in terms of health insurance and equity in terms of what's even available in your neighborhood is not a real thing, especially for Black folks, um, my Hispanic, Latina, Latinx folks, and what that looks like. So wanting to make sure that the work that I do to the best of my ability allows everyone to be seen, heard, and honored with added emphasis on protection and equity for black and brown folks who don't otherwise get the same privilege of access. And now as a professor, that's one of the things that I try to beat into my students on a consistent basis. And I will legit fail your ass if you don't put the cultural implications and ethical and legal implications on any of the work that you do. Ask them, I got a bunch of undergrads pissed at me right now. (laughs) But that's where it comes into my work is making sure that I impart that knowledge about what is and isn't fair and realistic early on. Some of their assignments, even in class, have looked like, find me three um, treatment centers that provide comprehensive mental health services to trans clients in the south side of Chicago. And then when they come back getting all huffy like they couldn't find one, I was like, okay, well, where did you find it? Cool, well, was it off of a bus, off of a train? Do you need a car? Do they take everybody's insurance? So it's really about impressing upon them that it's not just about what was in someone's neighborhood, because you can still be in the hood and not have access because of transportation, because Mm -hmm. of finances. And I also own a private practice that's a diversity, equity and inclusivity firm that goes into businesses and pretty much tells them how they're trash and how they can invest and make it better, not only for themselves, but for the communities that they serve. I know that was really long winded but that's pretty much my, my day-to-day existence.
0: That is perfect. And you're booked and busy. Love that. Blessed for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm curious, you know, you're talking about, and I think we've had conversations around equity and access before. And I was interested when you were talking about, um, so folks show up and they're there and then they're presenting diagnostics differently or the ways in which that we code things for insurance purposes or the ways that we categorize different diagnoses um to someone who maybe like has no concept of how those things could be different across Mm -hmm. different identities like when you're talking about that what are some things that you're thinking about and things that you're coaching in your students Mm
2: -hmm. for folks who have no baseline i always say well an easy thing is have you ever been around kids that are upset about life how are they reacting to being upset? They're usually they're going to cry. They're probably maybe having a tantrum. Um, they're responding just based on all the emotions in their body, and they don't really know how to, to express them verbally, so they express them in ways that make sense for them. And if a grown person is upset, they're probably, as long as they're adjusted in a certain way, Um, They're either going to talk it out, tell you that they're upset and tell you exactly why they're upset. And then they're going to expect you to either help them find some resolve or get to a place where uh, they can have their own private time and they're going to work it out. Right. They're going to respond in that way.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So when you understand that kids and adults respond differently, well, the same thing can be said about what we notice in terms of race and ethnicity. So one of the big things that I've always had an issue with is that black kids get diagnosed more often with conduct disorders and, and disorders of being disruptive. So ADHD, um, conduct disorder, which is a, a separate disorder in itself, oppositional defiant disorder, all the things that I pretty much say they don't listen to other people, they like to fuck shit up, they always have an attitude and there's always an issue. I said, okay, well, are you seeing true conduct? Or are you seeing trauma? Are you seeing someone who's maybe grown up in an environment where as a people, um, historically, we were told that, well, you're resilient because you've been so much as a people, and you really can't show any type of emotion that would lend itself to being weak, which is being sad or upset. You can't cry. You can't do all these wide ranges of emotions that people you know, just naturally have. And then don't even get started on the whole masculine, feminine, male, female binary of it all, where boys don't cry, girls do this, boys do that. So when you're talking about kids who may be growing up in environments where they don't have access to um, schools that show them that they care about them because ceiling tiles are falling all over the place, they don't have water, they've been using the same textbook since Nixon was in office that as a layer of trauma when they're growing up in neighborhoods that are maybe dealing with some safety issues or concerns not because that's naturally how people are but because the government has gotten to a point where systemic oppression only allows for certain stuff to exist in their neighborhoods that's a layer of trauma and you're asking this kid or this adult now to then fully express themselves in a way that's gentle and coming to you in a way that makes you feel safe and comfortable well that's bullshit Everybody doesn't come from the same baseline. So the presentation of symptoms for black folks can sometimes look like anger. It sometimes looks like paranoia because true shit, people really do be out to get us. Like it really is a real life thing that the world is not safe for us. So it's just being aware that paranoia, anger, frustration, these are not black people being naturally aggressive, but rather when you grow up in an environment for over 450 years that teaches you that you can't, don't have access to certain things and they genuinely don't provide you types of support then you just have to be aware of that when you're working with the client and you're coding for that too and people just don't do that they don't they don't really care so hmm. sad
0: i'm hearing you say that you know there's we have a set understanding of this dsm that's really made for a certain type of client a certain type of understanding of navigating this world and then what i'm hearing you offer is that you know what if these are actually really responsible and really um natural ways of responding to a hostile environment as opposed to pathology
2: exactly and that's always the goal, right? Never to over pathologize, but really just to see the person and understand their symptoms, but also understanding that those symptoms may be part of a larger thing that they don't have control over. And that has to be OK in your understanding of who they are. Plus, like you said, the DSM, the testing measures we use, they were all normed by white people back in like the 20s and 30s and 40s. And for everybody who doesn't necessarily know, Folks weren't fucking with us back then in the 20s, and 40s. Hmm. So it just comes down to this need to really recognize that if they study the population to say that this is the standard that we're going to use to treat everybody else, if everybody don't identify like that, you're going to have some issues. So it takes being you know, continually curious about culture and understanding how equity and inclusivity and diversity play into the work to really not fuck somebody up with a diagnosis that doesn't fit because labeling follows people forever. Um, medications have very big impacts on people's lives and the type of therapy you may be doing could actually be harmful and not helpful. And for folks who are on the other side, being the consumer, date your therapists. I mean, if you were not getting a good vibe from them, if something feels off about the relationship, drop their ass and get somebody else. If you have a hard time with that, hit me up and I'll help you figure that out. <laughs> but people also feel stuck because sometimes we do live in rural neighborhoods or in, in places where there really is like one black person I can see. Um, one of the unfortunate, fortunate consequences of COVID is that now telehealth is more re- readily available. And as long as you're in the same state as that person, you can now see them. They don't have to just be in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm.
0: hmm I'm just kind of sitting with some of that because I'm feeling the weight of what it means to be given a diagnosis, be given medication, be given, bestowed upon someone this stigma of something that actually is not matching their experience. It's like a completely interpreted thing from someone that this person trusted. They showed up to either get help or were, you know, told to go there. And now that they're now they're being placed with something that isn't, isn't true? How do you, how do you engage with uh, rectifying that once it's happened?
2: That's that's a big one because part of it is you feeling empowered to speak up and advocate for yourself. But if maybe that's one of the things you're struggling with and that's why you're in therapy, um, you may be afraid to speak up because you don't want to lose that relationship with your therapist. But the reality of it is, is if your therapist is actually doing their job, they want you to use them as practice anyway Hmm. and gives them an opportunity to really show you, like, see how even in this relationship, though you're paying to be here, I didn't drop you as a client. I didn't cuss you out, call your mama a hoe. I didn't do any of that type of stuff, but you can practice those things here. So it's also about just acknowledging, accepting when things aren't feeling right. And I guess that's one of the first, first steps. Um, We like to sometimes sugarcoat, like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad, or maybe that's not how they meant it. No, if someone says something that pissed you off or hurt you, then that's a valid experience, and that's okay. Um, So, yeah, it's just having a little bit of knowledge that your feelings are coming from an authentic place and that they're valid. It's okay to speak up and honor those feelings and advocate for yourself. Not everybody feels the same ability or safety to do that in their private lives, because honestly, it just really may not be safe. But also, it's um, understanding what your resources are and maybe finding someone that can help you do that in a way that makes sense. So yeah, just letting people know that this medication is giving me weird side effects. Tell your psychiatrist the truth. Honestly, I would prefer if people find a prescribing psychologist, So, that they could do some of that therapeutic work and see them for medication management. It's kind of like a one stop shop. Psychiatrists are great, but sometimes you miss out on that other opportunity. And a big piece is just really taking note of everything, writing it down, even, because you may not remember in your three month appointment what happened three months ago. So, just start taking notes and provide that information to your doctors and switch a therapist or a psychiatrist if they're not paying attention to you. You keep telling them something's wrong and they're not working to fix it, that's not the right person for you.
0: How do you suggest folks go about opening up conversations specifically about diagnosis with their therapist? Because I feel like sometimes therapists kind of keep that a little close to the chest or like find it um, impeding to have open conversations and like, let's just focus on the work and then this is for insurance purposes. But I think um, that doesn't have to be that way. It maybe even shouldn't be that way. But how do you encourage folks to open that conversation up?
2: No, you're right. It shouldn't be that way. If your therapist isn't explaining your diagnosis to you, isn't breaking down the DSM for you so that you can actually see how your symptoms line up and why they came to the conclusion that they made, they're also not doing their job. If your therapist isn't taking an opportunity to explain um insurance is weird they don't always pay out for everything so sometimes what people will do this little therapy hack adjustment disorder will pop up or things like mild depression or pervasive depressive disorder or something like that will pop up and you really just have to talk to people about it because again if it's on their insurance it has implications elsewhere if you want to go into law enforcement or certain jobs they will pull any of your diagnostic history so if you don't understand it it's gonna have issues later on for you. So definitely um, the big first step you can do is just say, hey, I know we're getting to the point of diagnosis, can you explain it to me? Just ask to explain it, ask them to see your chart, ask them to see how they're billing for insurance and then ask them to explain what their DSM codes or the ICD codes, ICD is the International Coding of Diseases and Disorders. Uh, ask them to explain these things to you. And really that's pretty much the way to do it. They should be providing you that information off top, but if they're not, um, one of the things is, hey, um, I'm really not understanding my diagnosis. Can you explain it? Or what does major depression look like? Am I gonna have this forever? Um, What is the, they may not know like the word treatment plan, but how are we actually gonna fix this? What's our plan? So just asking them questions about that and make them understand the need to be intentional about how they meet you when it comes to your diagnosis and your treatment. You're paying for it.
1: (laughs) What is your advice to therapists that are out there that don't do that?
2: Get your shit together. (laughs) I I genuinely see it as often a need to maintain power and hierarchy in a place that's not gonna do anybody any good but you. And if you genuinely want your client to get to a place of true healing and support so they don't actually need you in the future, because my goal back when I was doing therapy consistently was I don't want you to keep needing me or people like me. Yes, if something comes up in the future and you wanna come back, boo, I got you. But part of that is um, I need you to understand what your diagnosis is. So yes, my, my recommendations for them would be get your shit together, It is completely okay to talk openly with your client about what their diagnoses are, the symptoms, the treatment recommendations, to break down the prognosis, what this may look like if they decide to have children later on because some stuff is more hereditary based than other things. You also need to recognize the cultural differences. Also Pete, that everything in the DSM for the most part and all the other stuff we have was also normed on males. So if you're non-binary, gender non-conforming, fluid, female, femme, those things also have to be addressed when we're talking about um, diagnosis. And you also need to talk to your clients about what that means and what that looks like too. So get your shit together or else you need to find something else to do because you're not actually providing the best quality of support to your clients. You could be doing a lot better or you could be doing nothing at all. Either way, figure it out.
0: I was talking, I'm in grad school currently and I was having a class recently and we were, um, talking about, okay. If we know that the DSM is shit, (laughs) like if we know that this is pretty much an oppressive manual, how do you do the dual thing of speaking against and playing into like, um, how does that kind of dichotomy, I guess of, uh, doing both at the same time? And how do you coach that? Or how do you talk through that as a therapist when potentially, you know, some people do find a lot of um, insight into this structure that says like, these are the things that make this up and that's what this means. And like, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, we can have folks and give them some structure and give them a way of understanding themselves while also naming that that way to understand themselves should not be taken as fully internalized. But like, they feel like opposite things, but how do we do the same thing at once? You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, With my students, I just tell them the truth. The DSM is shit, it gets on my nerves. A lot of the people who also create the DSM were not just psychologists or mental health professionals, but you got medical doctors, you got psychiatrists, you have other people. Um, who actually aren't going to be doing treatment like you are coming up with these diagnoses. I actually went through the DSM when I was teaching, what was it the sexual dysfunction disorders last week with my class, and was showing them in the book it says he or he or she. And I'm like, well, not everybody's a he or she or identifies as he or she. And it also says that some sexual dysfunctions only occur if your penis doesn't work when meeting up with a vagina. That's also not how sex happens for everybody. So if I'm doing my job the right way, it's acknowledging that this may be a handbook of how some things happen in the world. And yes, like you said, it's very true for a lot of people. However, how we get there is going to be different based on how other people identify and how they understand themselves and the world around them and make sense of it all. So part of your responsibility is to understand and identify that before you throw a label on there. Yes, it's depression, but do I really understand what depression looks like typically in this community? And then how does it apply to this person individually? And can I explain that to them? And for other folks, like I said, labeling is great for some people. They finally feel like they have an answer to whatever was going on or what they were feeling. And that's wonderful. For other folks, labeling is terrifying (laughs) because now they have an answer to whatever was going on and it's scary. So it just comes down to this, this need to recognize that, like every other part of your life, it's okay for there to be some difference and diversity in it. And you have to understand that it's also okay for you to make meaning in ways that are salient for you. And that's also valid and okay. And you're not going to be doing this by yourself. Hopefully you either have a community around you to support you and you're going to see some variation in diagnoses around folks you're around. Or hopefully your therapist is at least a safe space for you to check in and talk to about some of those pieces as well. But you're right, it's it's both. I like to be very candid and honest and I do trash a lot of the books that we read. I actually <laughs> got rid of all those textbooks in my syllabus and replaced it with things like hood feminism and other things that seem to make more sense to me. I'm um, um, unapologetic guy to African-American I think it's with black therapy or something like that. So using books that actually speak to the intersection of mental health, diagnosis, treatment, and culture. And I expect that of everybody that I work with.
0: One of the things that we were, you know, we're here because we, engaged in a um, a Twitter interaction around uh, thinking about um, the ways in which like schizoaffective and these other personality disorders are, are deeply harmful in the way that these diagnoses are disproportionately attributed to folks. And I think you were touching on this with um, oppositional defiant disorder, like these types of things. But those sort of more personality based diagnoses, what does that... Um, misdiagnosis look like? Like what is what is that in practice?
2: Well one of the big things, and there's actually studies where black folks are actually less likely to be diagnosed with a personality disorder. Um and then there's also this idea where when you're doing the testing, so some of those they kind of sound like those questionnaires you get when you're trying to get a job at Target. If you (laughs) could steal something and nobody would know, would you do it? Sure. So they ask you a bunch of questions like that they also aren't accounting for things like SES, race, and the impact of systemic oppression and trauma. So we're more likely to get diagnosis that are on the schizophrenic spectrum. So that also includes schizoaffective, um, the personality disorder, like schizoid personality disorder, schizophrenia, and all of its different forms. And we're also more likely to get things like antisocial personality disorder too. And some of that comes in with this idea of being cold and detached, of being uncaring about how your behaviors and actions impact other people, or also this piece about being manipulative or conniving. I was like, okay, well, when you're talking about being cold, are you picking up on cultural differences in emotional expression that have racial and ethnic Pieces and pieces related to gender? Or are you also picking up on the fact that when it comes to, yes, I would actually steal something if no one would know because I live in a poor environment and everybody has to eat, then you're not actually really understanding the nature of how to truly recognize those symptoms. I know this is way too technical, but really the big thing that I noticed, even on the MMPI, Um, Is that if you get a score above a 65, we're supposed to say that that thing is relevant to you. But I always say with black folks, we're going to naturally elevate on some of those scales anyway, like Mm. depression, schizophrenia and paranoia. But again, if we genuinely are coming from a place of knowing that we don't have access to resources, people are out to get us in the sense that um, police brutality is real for us in a way that is not real for other people not having access to resources and our community is real for us in a way it's not real for other people, then yes, that would make you more paranoid. It would show up more in terms of depression and it would show up more in terms of some of the things that would seem odd or disordered belief systems for schizophrenia, but they are rooted in our reality. There's a difference between cultural paranoia and functional paranoia. And often if you're unskilled, you don't look to do your due diligence to fix it. So, yes, we will tend to get more diagnoses than others, like you said on the the schizophrenic spectrum, but also antisocial personality disorder, the conduct disorders. But they're not really understanding the function of poverty and race when they're doing it, and they need to adjust. Plus, the stuff was normed on white Minnesota farmers back in the 30s. I have not now, nor have I ever been a white Minnesota farmer. So you're not really seeing me if that's what you're going off of. And yes, they've been updated over time. But if your foundation is still built on white Minnesota farmers, you're only really going to get so much difference in there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's where a lot of that comes from. But again, that's where you're asking someone who's testing you, explain the scores to me. What does this mean? What is a K value? What is an L scale? Um, Explain why this is elevated at this level, but I don't feel depressed. Hmm. I hope this is making sense.
0: (laughs) It's making a lot of sense. It's also just like, it's heavy though. You know what I mean? So it's it's deeply making a lot of sense, but it also is, it's giving me pause within that too. Um, If you were able or were thinking about ways to, reimagine how we engaged with diagnosis and how we engaged with that kind of starting point of healing of like, let's look at these symptoms, let's figure out what to do now. What would be a better way to engage with that than this DSM-5 and ICD-9 codes that we have?
2: Mm -hmm. My big thing is always starting with the interview and the interview or that first consultation or intake meeting you have with somebody is everything really go beyond having them check off boxes related to who they are and ask them to tell you the story of who mm-hmm. they are, how they exist in the world and what their perceptions and experiences have been like. Ask them the story of how they got to you in the first place. Did they have to overcome any challenges? or any barriers to actually getting a chance to meet with you because that in itself will tell you more information about access and equity for them or even their culture and how they understand or value mental health. Ask them questions about their family, but not just because I want the family history If your mom or dad was addicted to opioids back in the day or currently, but rather ask them the story of who their family is, how that family has existed in this country or existed in spaces beyond the United States, and what has that looked like, and how has that impacted them. Hmm. So don't just go down the checklist of, well, my client filled out this initial intake and they clicked all the boxes. And I asked about their family medication history and any past trauma history, but I truly got to know the story of who they are in a more vulnerable way, which allows for more meaning to be made when you're building that relationship with them to do therapy. And once you get to the point of having to make a decision about a diagnosis whether it be because you're gonna use uh, assessment measures or testing to, to figure things out, or if it's just really gonna be based on the course of treatment and you're looking for symptoms over time, you have more data to back up whether or not this is actually depression or is this systemic oppression. And then you can start to make some, some decisions about what will treatment and support actually look like. DSM, is an, it's, a, it's a means to an end as far as getting treatment paid for that in the ICD codes. But again, a big part of it is once you've gotten there, you're explaining, you're discussing, you're breaking it down for your client in a way that makes sense for them. You should actually be talking to them about what your thoughts are the whole time. It shouldn't be a surprise when you come up with the diagnosis after a few weeks or after you've done your assessment. And then you're providing them an opportunity to check in with other people who share similar diagnoses and who have similar backgrounds by connecting them to Facebook groups or Instagram groups or podcasts like this, where they can actually meet or talk to or hear about from other people doing various things in the world who also may be carrying some of those pieces of their identity too. And that's something that they can be doing. So yes, you're still going to have to use the book. But the story of how you get there and the level of connection and support that you can build in the process may actually better inform your diagnosis. It will allow your client at its safety to understand what that means and what that looks like, and then make them part of the process of, of their treatment and healing. Do it collaboratively, not by yourself. Yes, you got all these fancy degrees and doctorates. I do too. I was 537000 and a couple of other cent dollars to get it but I'm not an expert on everybody that I meet. I'm barely an expert on me. So it's just providing people the space and that in itself can do so much healing that you'll find the the work progresses in a different way.
0: Hmm. You are just truly (laughs) giving a full lecture right now that is just like anyone listening is honestly should be very grateful for the amount of knowledge you're sharing. Um, I appreciate also the ways in which you're not only advocating for more transparency here, but then doing that in practice by engaging with us here and in your own work. Um, Where can people find you to learn more, to hear you share knowledge in different ways?
2: Yeah. Okay. So, Definitely if you want to connect with me personally, my Instagram is my long ass name. So Leela Ellis Nelson Side. D. Um, and my Twitter is Dr. Ellis Nelson. If you want to listen to one of my podcasts, I got you pegged, which is I then got and P-E-G-G-E-D, it's on Patreon. And it's the same thing on Instagram, it's the same thing on Twitter. And Just a Thought is on uh, Anchor, but it's actually, Anchor lets me put it on everything. So just put in Just a Thought. It'll pop up in Apple Podcasts. It'll pop up on Spotify and all those different places. Um, And you can email me there at justathoughtel at gmail.com. So yeah, feel free to hit me up on any of those spaces to connect more than happy to help you find a therapist that makes sense um also happy to help you find communities that you know hold salience for you too and if you ever need anything else i'm more than happy to to serve as a resource to break down some of those barriers for you you know i hear you i get it Hmm.
0: thank you so much um looking forward to following up on uh more of your work elsewhere. Like the this random interaction has uh, <laughs> deeply benefited my spirit, and I am very grateful that you decided to join us here today.
2: I appreciate you too for even having me on, and yes, um, let's please keep in touch and keep seeing me buss and cuss on Twitter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take a quick break, and then we will come back and take our meds. Almost ready to come back again. All right, friends, welcome back. Uh, We're going to close out the show like we do every week by taking our meds. Um, Who wants to go first? Shawnee, do you have meds? Do you want me to go first? Y'all go first. Okay. Um, My meds this week. Um, So I have housemates that um, are in the house right next to it. I guess they're kind of neighbors. I live in, like, an ADU next to them. Um, But they've lived in this house for years and years and years, and they're good friends of ours. And they actually just bought a house, so they're leaving. And so we had this kind of, like, little compound thing um, that I'm very sad is ending. But we got to celebrate the house and the space that they've created for, like, eight-plus years. Um, Different people moving in and out. Just sharing memories last night and also being able to hear memories and stories that these folks hold really personally that I had never heard before about their living space. And um, it was really intimate and beautiful. And I just feel really grateful to have been both a part of it but also a witness to it. Um, It was very sweet. Um, And it's just really, I'm just sitting with it this morning. I'm just sitting with those stories and that connection and the ways in which a place can be really significant in our lives. And um, I don't know, that's what I'm thinking a lot about. Um, What are your meds? What are you taking this week?
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, I love yours. It's way better than anything that I've been doing this week, but (laughs) what I have been doing that's really made me feel grounded is my little projects. Like I said, I moved at the start of the pandemic. But part of that meant that a lot of the things we wanted to do, like it was a complete rehab and going to buy stuff and update stuff couldn't happen because, you know, you can't go outside or you're afraid. I didn't want to go outside. So now that I've been able to get some stuff delivered to the house, I've decided to um, um, try to update and make some Ikea basic stuff look fancy <laughs> by doing some dowels and buy myself a, a nail gun. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. And been really
0: <laughs>
2: doing some projects around the house and finally getting it to feel like a home that's lived in, mm. a place that I can feel like really comfortable and just chill and safe in. And also a space where my two year old and my husband are also really enjoy. So that's definitely been the mode for for this week. And I was telling you guys before, I'm covered in stain right now. Because I was dying cabinets before we met.
1: <laughs> Shawnee, what you got? Um, similar. I talked about my bathroom project, I think, on the last podcast. But I installed my bidet, so that happened. Work. Um, <laughs> my asshole is frigid now because <laughs> toilet water is cold. <laughs> so, yeah, just... Heads up if you install the bidet, the water is cold when it hits your ass. Um but yeah, that happened and there were no issues. I thought there was gonna be like a whole water spraying in my face situation and me forgetting to turn the water off, but it actually all worked out perfectly. So I don't know. Shout out to me being a handyman at home.
0: <laughs> you are deeply capable.
1: Yeah. And the painting's done too, right? Painting is done. Now I need rugs and I need a new storage thing. I still don't know why I'm getting all these things when I'm moving in a few months, but whatever. I like to look at my bathroom and like make it look pretty. So
0: <laughs> nesting's important. It's yeah. necessary to feel lived in and feel good. Exactly. <laughs> um, our homework this week is for you to talk to your therapist about your diagnosis. Um, open up that conversation next time you're in therapy. If you're not in therapy, you know, always consider. Uh, looking that up talking to your friends see what their uh, experiences are but if you are open up that conversation don't be afraid to ask really go there really open it up and ideally they will respond um in ways like you were offering earlier rewind the podcast remember uh what we just talked about and move forward um you can follow us on instagram and twitter at qbt pod um be sure to like subscribe review all those things and We'll catch you next week. Thank you so much for being here.
2: You guys, I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day continuing to stain and uh, working on your projects. Mm-hmm. Trying to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. <laughs>